0: Welcome to the Sound of Movement podcast. Today we are having a fantastic discussion on the innovations in diet, exercise and rehab and what you must know. Lots changing and we're very excited to get this one going. Like Vasquez said in Aliens, let's rock. If you're new to the tribe, which is behind the mix, Phil is across the table from me and my name is Yanni Bormeister and we are Unity Gym and ADPT Physio, experts at turning driven people into athletes. This episode is proudly brought to you by the Unify Movement System, the only online program effectively balancing strength, flexibility, and fitness so you can unleash your inner athlete. You guys can get daily coaching by us, plus our Epic Foundations Prep prep Program and revolutionary Structural Balance Blueprint to create your ideal programs and optimize your performance. As a valued listener, you can always use the link in the description to get your first month free. Now, before we get started, we do want to send warm welcomes to, uh, if you are on the live stream in the UMS Movement Mastermind Facebook group, leave a comment, we'll send you back some love. Remember, anyone can join that group and interact with us, ask us questions, get involved. Lastly, big shout out to our YouTube athletes catching the replay. Hit the like button to support the channel and obviously subscribe if you like what you see. How are you, Phil?
1: Yeah, warm welcomes is right. It is so cold here in Sydney. We are we're <laughs> pretty soft when it comes to, to cold and it's been in the single digits. So, um, yeah, we, we could do some warm welcomes over here. It's, it's
0: been in the low single digits. It was six degrees when I walked to work this morning. Yeah, and uh, all you
1: international listeners will, you know, think we're a bit soft, but it's hard. We're so used to it. <laughs> <that right. laughs> How are you, Richie? But I'm good and I've got my mic on. I was very cold this morning as well. Yeah, six degrees, walking to work, it's uncommon here in Sydney. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a colder year this year for sure. Definitely. But no, I'm stoked to be um, yeah, back on the podcast because as people who follow the podcast closely will notice, things are changing a little bit.
0: Yeah, 100%. We're, we're moving to doing one podcast a week. We're going for quality over quantity for a little while. Uh, as we produce stacks of new content for the UMS Online Coaching Tribe. And uh, we want to see how this goes. We want to see, you know, give us some comments, uh, especially if you're tuning in live. Let us know what you think uh, about this new format. We're going to be uh, extending the chats a little bit for an hour. And, uh, and then, of course, going live to our coaching group straight after on Friday and uh, we're excited because we've got some really big stuff uh, uh, coming where the world's starting to open up and we're starting to get the possibility to invite guest speakers to come again, which is really exciting. We've got some great people lined up that we're in discussions with, and we just got some really cool stuff planned. So uh, it's all, uh, it's all, good, things. It's all yep. good things.
1: And if you do feel like you've got a um, you know, fill sized podcast hole, in your um, podcast feed then we um and i are doing a a adpt podcast and we've recorded the first few episodes currently editing them at the moment so uh yeah watch this space for um when that is launching and you can for all your
0: juicy podcast needs
1: (laughs) yeah exactly and the goal for that one is going to be about the key concepts of injury management that can yeah mean that you won't end up seeing us or if you do that you can get the most success from it so 100
0: percent so, so maybe t-
1: um, just because I'm trying to learn about these call to actions, if you actually go and subscribe to our Instagram channel, that'd probably be the best way to know exactly when it's coming out. So that's at ADPT Physio.
0: Boom. There you go. You've got it. You heard it first. Uh, and we'll talk a bit about that at the end of the show as well. We're going to go diet first, then exercise, then rehab or injury management. Uh, you know, we I, I wrote a, 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 a short blog article this week and uh, – And it really got me thinking about how far our industry's come since I first started working as a personal trainer back in 2004. And, um, uh, you know, uh, nutrition was one that uh, uh, originally uh, uh, interested interested me and I went went along and uh, did a sort of small nutrition coaching course, uh, which was great, you know. Um, But back in those days, uh, it was very, very the emphasis was really pushed during that period of time that a calorie is a calorie is a calorie, and we should all focus on calorie balance uh, and that is enough to get you through. And you know I adopted that methodology. I read a really great book uh, called Why Calories Count by Marion uh, Nessel and Maldom the which it was a fantastic book. It was a really um, highly uh, suggested book back in that in that time and, You know, I went about my nutrition coaching with a really uh, blanket rule, which was sort of around the lines of it doesn't really matter as long as it, uh, you know, uh, fits your macros or fits your calories and and we'd send everyone off to get a DEXA scan. And then over the years, I started to, I guess, adopt a bit of a deeper understanding of nutrition uh, through my own experience. I had gut problems. I was diagnosed with IBS uh, in about 2008, 2010, maybe. And that pro- progressively got worse over time. And so I went down the rabbit hole of um, the, the looking into the gut microbiome project, which we're lucky in Australia that they're, they're doing a lot of that research at Sydney University. So it's, it's, it's actually sort of available. And I was even um, able to rub shoulders with some of the people that were working on that at a couple of the conferences I went to. And uh, we've got a, a quite a forethinking, um, uh, is it a gastrointestinal? What are they called? Enterologist, that's right. Uh, uh, Professor Tom Barodi here in Sydney, uh, who I think is um, well known for pioneering the fecal transplant. Um, uh, I think he sort of kicked that research off and and I, I ended up a patient of his. And anyway... Cut a long story short. I started to look at uh, okay, calorie. It, it's it may it may be a bit more to it. It may be a bit more to just um, get, uh, prescribing people an amount of calories to consume each day to match their physical um, uh, activity. Uh, let's look at what's going into the body and how that affects the body. And and uh, and then, you know, as I started to focus on performance in my training, I started to uncover more about systemic inflammation and, and, and other factors that can contribute to your performance, how your body feels, And even your ability to to gain and lose weight put on muscle back then for me it was very much about trying to put on as much muscle mass as possible Uh, and by doing so your training tends to be intense we're going to get to that in a sec Uh, and you need to look at ways to minimize the um, the stress that is going through your body you know I I spoke to a lot of professional bodybuilders and one thing stuck with me uh one of the guys said you know to get to an elite level uh like an olympia level uh it's really about how much you can tolerate putting through your body not just exercise he was talking about nutrition because you have to consume so many calories to stack on 40 50 60 80 pounds of lean muscle that often it's the gut that fails the athlete and then their career's over you know uh, you put me on to a gentleman um, on systemic inflammation. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Peter, um, Dr. Peter Brookner. Peter Brookner, that's right, yeah. who has some great resources. We've shared them on the show before. You can go to YouTube and, and uh, he's got some really cool videos. Um, so how do you, what's your take on well, as a physio, from a physio standpoint and from your yeah. own athletic um, uh, experiences?
1: Yeah, I guess to start off with, like obviously as a physio, not a nutritionist or dietitian, um, you know, my... my professional advice is going to be limited but just from my personal side of things diet was something that got uh, me really interested um, a while ago and it was a- around the same time that I was doing my sports science exercise sports science degree at sydney union it was just so interesting because we'd have uh, a designated nutrition subject um, and I remember the lectures w- would be in the same semester so we had like a designated um, nutrition subject where they'd be kind of teaching you the uh, the healthy plate which is like the progression from the food pyramid um, and then you'd do that uh that lecture and then you would go and do the biochemistry lecture and there was a guy there who um, is very much of the kind of low carb side of things but he's a biochemistry like strict biochemistry lecture and he would give an ex like a lectures on basically how different fuels were utilized and, and um, moved through the body and affected energy systems and basically um, how it affected body composition and health and it was just so interesting because it was so conflicting because, you, you know, you're at Sydney Uni, good, in, good university, and you'd just be getting these, like, two bits of information that were just so, just did different. not marry up. And I think, you know, there's, uh, you could say, like, oh, that's crap, like, they should know better. But it's it's one of those things that it's such an evolving space and there's just so much to um, know about it. And I think with, when it comes to all these different ways of eating, like, if you think about calories in, calories out, versus, um, you know, maybe eating for longevity and health, like, there's going to be kind of differences there and pros and cons of doing things certain ways and you sort of talked a bit about like maybe what's optimal in certain circumstances but the big thing that with nutrition that I've come to realize is so much of it's about what's mentally feasible (laughs) and that there's going to be pros and cons of eating in certain ways depending on how you mentally like to approach food and that kind of mental side of eating I think can't be understated. Yep, that's right. Well,
0: wh- the 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 way it's uh, th- the way it sort of formulated for me over my career is that I started with calories and I learned that it was very important and that comes first. Like if you don't if you don't balance calories, it doesn't really matter whether you're eating the best food in the world if you're eating too much of it and you're not exercising enough then you're likely going to gain weight. I think that's um, the law of thermodynamics, you know. But th- then you from that point on so the first box we tick is are you over consuming, under consuming or consuming at a a neutral energy balance to, to for your goals, you know, the right the right amount of food. Once we tick that box, I start to look at okay. So how can we make how can we optimise this? And the next thing I look at is gut microbiome because I, I now believe thoroughly that there is a lot to this. And not to make it complicated, it's actually really simple. You you, you just get a a, a nice variety to, to based on what I've read, which is very very limited in comparison to someone who's involved in this research or even a nutritionist or dietitian probably. But uh, based on what I know. My understanding is that you try to get as much of a variety of foods as possible. Uh, foods high in fiber are, um, are, are, are very beneficial to the gut. Uh, you want to minimize processed foods as much as humanly possible. And then, as we start to tiptoe into the systemic inflammation argument, and I'm going to get you to very briefly. Talk. Uh, let everyone know what the difference between uh, acute inflammation, systemic inflammation is. Um, uh, but once we start to get into that argument, you wanna actually start to think about minimizing, um, like, I don't wanna say carbohydrate, I wanna say processed and refined sugars,
1: carbohydrates and fats. Is
0: that right? Um, yes,
1: yeah, so I guess to first get to that information side of things. So as you point out, there's gonna be acute information and systemic information. And what you gotta think about with inflammation is it is a signalling process. So what it's doing is basically, like imagine it, someone blowing a whistle and being like, yo buddy, send stuff this way that um, is necessary for um, tissue turnover and healing. So when you roll your ankle and your ankle blows up into a big puffy ball, it's basically like there's a really systemic information effect which is like necessary and like there for a specific reason of it. it's going to bring all these kind of healing mediators and it's also going to limit your movement a little bit so um it kind of encourage you as encourages you to deload the structure to give it a bit of a chance to heal and so where systemic information comes in is it's basically imagine that same little you know whistling um cell is now whistling all over your body and it just sends out all this signal that is no longer helpful, it actually starts to hinder and you get those effects of, you know, little like bits of swelling here and there and you basically become um, it. And when you're blowing that whistle, it basically, as we've talked about with pain science before, starts to make you listen to more and more of the information coming from different parts of your body and that's why um, you start to just feel so much pain throughout your whole body. These aches that just uh, unpleasant, but even at a lower level, it can just... Um, sort of disrupt natural processes because you've got all these mediators that are just flying around the body not being very helpful.
0: Yeah, so one one is helpful, one is definitely not helpful. Yep. Uh,
1: and yeah, a good example of where like this can be um, with Peter Brookner was, was talking about his ex- example of a um, cricketer who, you know, is a um, in a, a, the Australian cricket system. So you've like ticked all the boxes of having good sort of strength and conditioning advice, good, um, you know, training and load management, all of those things, and just couldn't get past a, a niggling knee injury. And um, and then it was when he asked uh, Peter Brookner how he'd lost a whole bunch of weight and because he was thinking he was just putting a bit more weight after this knee injury and uh, changing his diet to a, um, I think it was like changing to more whole, whole foods and also being a bit more high fat, lower carb. And the guy's knee suddenly got, better and so it's one of those things when you're looking at what is causing um injuries and issues like i i always kind of work in this like hierarchy of like are you getting the basics right of your exercise programming um you know macro and micro loading all those things we we always talk about um but then there's kind of one of those like okay if it's not if you're getting all that right and there's still issues and you want to look about that a little bit deeper but yeah i think yeah you can't go wrong with um eating kind of natural whole foods yeah, and that,
0: and the best thing about um, you know, try, like making a really really conscious effort to eliminate processed sugar, fat, and carbohydrate from your diet as m- much as possible. You can't eliminate it and again, completely just to be unless you get clear li-
1: there with the processed fat. What you're talking about there is you know, um, those, are those like trans fats, homo- those, homogenized, yeah, trans fats. Yeah, so not know. saying getting rid of processed sugar, gamma, Fat as a separate yes. <laughs> thing. It's like pro- the processed part is the really key yeah, bit. There.
0: Yeah, that's right. Pro- processed sugar, processed fat, processed carbohydrates. Uh, and, and you know, you're never going to, like, I don't believe, as you said, from a psychological standpoint, it becomes very stressful if you tr- just say, oh my God, I can't touch them. But you can certainly minimize them and, and save them. And for- everyone's
1: going to be so different. Like, I know that, um, like, with my partner, she's so good at, like, being able to kind of work in the gray area like so you can have a bit of something and then put it down and whereas I know that I'm much more like black and white like if I have a little bit then I want to eat a lot and year, so yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those things that you kind of got to know yourself and know your own mental approach to these sort of things so it's gonna kind
0: of vary. yeah I'm an all or nothing person too but the best thing that I wanted to reinforce is that that has an effect on both the gut microbiome in a positive way and the inflammation, um, uh, on, on, in a really positive way. So it's a, it's, it's why why I said, why I said, it's actually more simple than you think that one thing has a profound impact on many things. Okay. And so the, the, the last area on nutrition before we move on that I want to, um, address is more, even, uh, more sort of recent, uh, research on circadian rhythm and circadian health and how, the timing of the consumption of the food we eat also plays a role in longevity and uh, and how our body is healing itself and turning over cells and um, impacting the different healing pathways, cellular healing pathways. One of the loosely uh, used terms recently is autophagy, cell autophagy, which is sort of like the internal housekeeping of your cells, the cell's ability to identify damaged components and bring in the nutrients it needs to replace them, replace them, and then excrete the byproduct of that process is autophagy. And it's one of the healing pathways. And it is... Uh, upregulated when we don't consume food for long periods of time so um, uh, it popularized uh, intermittent fasting and thing and time-restricted eating regimes which is also a really fascinating um, area for me at least and that's something that I've done a lot of experimentation with and Found that it really suited my lifestyle, suited um, my eating behaviours, and and now has become very natural for me. Uh, but but I like I think that the, the like if we just lay that out in sequence again. These are the boxes that I like to tick because a lot of people come and say, I want to learn about intermittent fasting. I want to start intermittent fasting. And, you know, I want to make it clear. I'm not an intermittent fasting zealot. I'm not saying that it is a blanket solution for people. It's for some people, for the wrong person, it's a terrible way to lose weight, you know. But... Uh, for certain people, it works really well. And it's the, it's the fourth box that I tick, you know, I, I first of all, I tick the calorie balance box. Like if you are overconsuming, there is j- very little you can do. You can't out train that you generally, you know, there's the, the, the sometimes it, the, it needs to be dealt with, um, like a, a deeper psychological, um, uh, angle. You know, you might need to go and see a, a, a dietitian or a, a psychologist or a food psychologist or something like that, you know? Because no amount of exercise, and, and you generally exercise in a way that just destroys your body, and we'll get to that in a sec, no amount of exercise fixes that. So tick the calorie box first. Then from there, I like to tick the gut microbiome box. So a nice variety of whole foods, unprocessed, usually ticks that box really well. Uh, and the best thing about gut microbiome, from what I've read, is that you can actually recultivate your gut microbiome in as little as three days if, from eliminating bad foods and introducing the right foods, high fiber, whole foods, and a variety of them. Uh, and then from that point on, we want to tick the inflammation box. You know, we want to make sure that we're eating in a way that's supporting our, uh, our training, our life, our nutrition, our, our goals, things like that. And, uh, you know, Phil gave, gave a great example of uh, this athlete cricket player in Australia who, you know, um, was able to sort of um, support the overcoming of a knee injury by altering his diet based on this. Uh, the, the fourth box, I, I lied before, it's the fifth box is, is uh, um, time restriction, but the, f- the fourth box is meeting your daily protein needs. We we really drive that home, you know. We want to make sure that everyone's meeting their pro- meeting their protein requirements based on how much they're exercising, because otherwise it's very hard to sort of build or muscle or turn over muscle tissue properly in a healthy way, you know. So we tend to build our nutrition around that. And then finally, if you've ticked those four boxes and you want to take it further, I think it's a really healthy thing to start experimenting with time restriction and time restricted eating regimes going from a 12-12, so you, you can only consume food for 12 hours of the day, and then for 12 hours, it's nothing except water. Uh, and then maybe even push it up to uh, a 16-8. Uh, and and if you want to, um, you know, do what I do, do a 24-hour intermittent fast once a week. You know, any, any abstinence from food for 24 or more hours, you click over from time-restricted eating to intermittent fasting, and it's a really great healthy exercise because Other than the calorie displacement that you get from fasting for that period of time, and I find it quite hard to consume a lot of calories in the final eating window, unless I'm going out and eating junk food. When you're eating whole foods, it becomes a little bit harder. Uh, You get, yeah, so you get the calorie displacement benefit. But then on top of that, you get the metabolic flexibility benefit, and that is huge, I believe, and that's the real winner out of um, experimentation with time restriction and intermittent fasting. Becoming more metabolically flexible. Share your story with uh, with our mate
1: Alex. <laughs> yeah, I so, think it's a good one. So I'm I'm pretty keen on my endurance sports, as you guys probably know. And I, um, yeah, I've got a, a friend, of, like a mutual friend of ours, a guy I went to high school with, who's a really fit, dude. Um, he does like a lot of CrossFit, does a lot of powerlifting. Um, at that time he was doing slightly less CrossFit, but basically we—I went and taken for a cycle, beautiful route up in the northern beaches near where I live, and um, yeah, we before we sort of left, he was. Like had and had Brecky and we rode up this like big steep hill and like he was just like oh when you know when are we <laughs> like have you eaten yet when are we eating like what are we what are we doing and by the time we get to the top of this like massive hill a few k's in like there's a, f- a fruit shop and he gets in there and he's like finding little bars and stocking up his pockets because he's like oh jeez how long is this thing 80 k's like it's <laughs> <laughs> and yeah basically like I didn't need to eat until um you know probably I I decided to have a coffee at a place that I liked about 60 k's in because it was mine felt pretty good and then like he was just absolutely struggling and by the time we got to 70ks he was like lying on the floor like cramping and just in a really bad way and that's that's more about different energy systems and muscle fiber types than than the food but just that like it was so interesting to see just how incapable he was of doing any exercise or like getting any part into his day without food and he kind of was had the guys put on 30 kilos since high school of muscle like he's uh (laughs) yeah he's like done really well with that sort of Classic bodybuilder style of, of eating, but it's just meant that he's become so dependent on getting like that food in that getting the food constantly. Hit. And yeah. Um, yeah, when you're changing, like I've, I've I quite like um, time restricted eating, and, and definitely it's hard at first, but then the, when you do it, you kind of get quite used to it, and you become really capable of getting on with your day without it. But at first, it's challenging.
0: Yeah, and this was a big big uh, wake up for me. You know, I I grew up. Uh, my first introduction to gym was very much around bodybuilding, and then. It, that continued for over a decade. And so I, and, and I was a person who actually really didn't eat a lot growing up. I was very skinny and I had to train myself to eat, you know, and then I was methodical about the, I used to carry around one of those six pack lunch packs, you know, with six little lunch boxes, all pre-made every two hours, alarm would go off. Yeah. I'd be rice, broccoli e- chicken. Yeah, <laughs> that literally, you know, and, or, or it was like lean beef, broccoli, chicken, you know, bro- broccoli and rice. And, and Uh, I, I trained myself to eat every few hours and then, you know, I was really surprised that, and, and I I formulated this opinion, this notion in my mind that I couldn't Survive if I didn't eat every two to three hours, and and, and that
1: you'd shrink, I, and your gains would be all be lost.
0: <laughs> I just literally, and I, st- I used to get like lightheaded. I used to feel awful if a meal was delayed or I'd skipped a meal. And it was, I remember times when I'd be training clients on the gym floor, and I'd be like, "Geez, I, I, you know, my time to eat's now the alarm would go off, and I'd start to get woozy, and I'd start to feel just woeful you know now i can come and pb on a lift after a two-day fast like it and what what happens there is not only do you sort of you're untethering yourself from food and your body learns to deal with hunger pains and, and and managing energy systems but you also the the term metabolic flexibility refers to an ability to be able to jump from different energy substrates so you you're either using carbohydrate um for your energy and glycogen um uh, it, it's uh, converting everything to um uh, Uh, Glycogen, which is essentially what most of us grow up. Being used to running on because of our um our, our wheatbix uh, lifestyles, but wheatbix and orange juice, which <laughs> wheatbix and orange juice for breakfast, <laughs> like like I serve it to my kids in the morning, you know, cereal and orange juice, and and then you know you, um, when you're metabolically flexible, your your body's got a great ability to jump to using stored body fat as energy, and that that does not necessarily mean that you lose weight quicker, it but it does mean that you can go between the two substrates more efficiently, and there is some Some argument to say that it does help you lose weight because you 're more able to jump between um, burning what your body's consuming. you know if you consume lots and lots of carbohydrate, you become very efficient at metabolizing carbohydrate. If you consume lots and lots of fat and very little carbohydrate, vice versa you become very efficient at metabolizing fat it also means that you store those in it at those uh, macronutrients more efficiently you know so you, you it's it you know there's it there's really great benefits and i'm not i'm not here saying oh this is going to make you lose lots of weight i'm not a weight loss e- expert i'm certainly not the right person to talk to about that uh i but i definitely think there's benefits to doing it and i've found that personally and i found it's helped my training i've found it's helped me in my professional life, I've found it's helped a lot of things, you know, totally. uh, and also just the power of untethering you from food, not needing to eat all the time uh, because sometimes, you know, you can't get healthy food, you know,
1: love it. Let's move on.
0: All right, let's move on. Exercise innovations in exercise. Um, uh, this is something that I'm very passionate about. When I first joined the fitness industry and when I first started training, I was b- uh, boxing and uh, I wanted to gain weight because I was very skinny as I referred to before. And I entered, an industry that was really, um, a bodybuilding industry, you know, the gym that I went to, that I started training at, everyone was there to bodybuild. Uh, and uh, you know, if we, if we really go back to the roots of gym training and gyms, it, it came from bodybuilding, you know, and then there was a big aerobics scene for a while in the uh, 80s, aerobics (laughs) Oz style, but it was, it was all about body image and it was all driven by body image and it was very much about, you know, you went to train to look good naked, you know, And then there was an an ulterior motive that developed uh, in the background and sort of grew in popularity, uh, which was athletic performance, you know, and you might go to the gym to become a better athlete or to complement your sport. Uh, but it definitely, you know, if you surveyed, if you went back 10 years, maybe even now and surveyed everyone in a gym, it would be a very small percentage of them that are there to be better at their sport. You know, uh, the, the, you know the, those people train in a special facility. The majority of people at gyms, in, in, in mainstream gyms, are training to look good naked, you know but recently there has been a you know maybe in the last decade uh and it it, it 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 you know things like crossfit have pushed this along things like gymnastics and calisthenics have pushed this along there's becoming a um uh, a, a stronger or more popular um cause of training for per- like just performance how your body feels and then even longevity you know we're starting to think okay well we want to be able to train for longevity. We've seen the, the you know, Ronnie Coleman story of pushing your body to absolute breaking point and how that probably didn't work out well for him. We've seen lots of those stories of, of athletes who sort of break down after really stressing their bodies a lot. And you start to go, well, um, you know, health is a, 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 a... To be healthy, if you look up the meaning of health, it is to live we, um, uh, in the absence of disease and injury.
1: But more often than seeing people who've trained a lot um, end up in a bad way, what the most prevalent thing is and most the most horrible part about old age for most people is that they've done zero training from basically from when they stopped playing sport as a teenager or early 20s and then they've just done zero exercise, maybe some jogging or um, whatever. And then you end up, like when I worked as a physio, during my um, uni placements in aged care rehab in the intensive care unit in like another um, kind of aged care facility you've just got the whole place is just full of people who haven't done any resistance training for years and they've got bone mineral density issues they've got um, like severe sarcopenia which basically like no muscle um, and it means that they've ended up getting a um, you know a hip replacement or after having a, a fall and that's the main reason why people stop becoming uh, stop being independent and have to move into long-term care facilities, and it's tragic. And it's like, um, you know, it's you, you see how families are broken down by suddenly having to care for an older, um, you know, not older family member who uh, quickly deteriorates and ends up in a facility. They lose those beneficial effects of effect exercise and end up with, you know, dementia, and, and it's just the most common thing in this aging population, and it's just tragic. And so more often than people training really hard and breaking down. There's just so many people who just didn't train. Like it was the gym wasn't a place that people would go because they would think like, oh, it's just for bodybuilders or, um, you know, and now there's that shift, which is so good to see where people are understanding like, hey, it's not for necessarily looking good or whatever. It's just for like, you need this <laughs> Yeah, time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, so the way I see it, there's kind of, there's always been, or even now there is this um, spectrum where at one end you've got the guy who, Talks about what he used to be able to lift, but now can't because his hips are banged up or his shoulders are banged up or whatever else. And at the other end of the spectrum, you've got those people in palliative care who have never have not done enough exercise and have severe sarcopenia or um, uh, a loss of muscle tissue. And in the middle, there's this emerging um, area where people are starting to get it and go, "Okay, uh, I need to." exercise, I need to stimulate my body enough, not too much that I end up one of those broken old men and uh, not like definitely that there's an awareness that I need to do something because I don't want to end up like the, you know, the the withered away old uh, man. So we now are very passionate about teaching our tribe that there is a middle ground that we should be sort of aiming for, which you can still achieve incredible athletic performance But you know, um, the question is for how how long? For and we we want to say forever. You know, we want to say that we can do and sustain what we're doing forever for as long as we're turning up to the gym. And just
1: to pause on that, like I think you know, you've said like some people train too hard, and that's kind of suggest like suggesting that you know they achieve some amazing physical like ability and then they break down. But so often, as we'll talk about in the injury management side of things, the rehab side of things, it's they try really hard to um and don't actually get to the same ceiling that someone who's actually trained consistently and trained intelligently um with programming and good exercise technique like i think those people like the longevity side of things that we're talking about you know we're talking about high level performance higher than most people get to if they just um turn up to a gym and smash themselves for uh, you know three months and then don't go back for another six months and then Put on weight and then come back and try and smash themselves again. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's right. I, look, I know so many people like that, and I even talk. And, and look, I have a background of absolutely smashing myself, and and uh, and, and my body's sort of riddled with, uh, with with stories of injuries that I've had to work through and and overcome uh, and or manage. Still, you know, to this day, uh, and I, like there, there's certainly. It certainly feels rewarding to um, to push yourself to the to the breaking point, and I think that there is a place, a time, and place for that. You know, when you're young, I think everyone sort of goes through a little bit of that, and, and it's nice to experience your limitations and and know how hard you can push yourself. But I, I I would love, you know, in hindsight, to be able to go back to that 22 year old guy or 24 year old guy and say, hey, listen, you know, you're you're better off doing it like this because in 20 years' time, you, you're really going to feel it uh and, and and i and i really am qu- like quite surprised at the results that we see we have a, a, a an ethos here at unity gym where we try and encourage people to train every day at 70 percent instead of um, every other day at 100 percent. you know and uh and and i've done both and I know what it feels to do both, you know, and there's the, now at 41, I wouldn't be able to do the latter because you just don't recover quick enough. You know, you, you, the accumulation of injuries catches up to you at some point. And, uh, and I now uh, m- much prefer to do the 70% every day and, and focus on consistency and, and frequency of the stimulus as opposed to the insane intensity that's sort of sporadic and, and choppy and all over the place. And uh, and I look around at the gym and, and the results we get on our online tribe and, and the results we get here and they're pretty impressive, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I, and even the results I'm getting myself personally, you Just know,
1: before we came in is busting out. Uh, chest floor pancakes. I haven't seen you do that before. And yeah, There's front splits that I've yeah. Well, th- this is
0: the point to be progressing and getting better at everything uh, at, at 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 the at your oldest age. I think is a really liberating feeling. It is. You know, it feels fantastic. And uh, this year I've sh- slightly changed my goal. Last year was all about maximal strength, and I got up to some really nice heavy lifts. You know, um, two hundred and thirty bench press. I I redid my two hundred thirty. 230 230 deadlifts, sorry, 230 deadlifts. I redid my best bench press ever at 140 kilos, which I'd only ever done like once or twice uh, when I was really focusing on specialization on the bench press. I didn't do a bench specialization program, but sort of got back up there. Uh, my squat was very near what it's been at its absolute maximum, and um, and you know I, I was very strong. And this year I decided I wanted to get my fitness up, so I started running again. I did a ten k run at an average of five minutes or five and a half minutes, which was pretty good. With you, you're there yep. to prove that I did it yep. and I made it, and Fact. had a bit of a spew <laughs> at the end, but it was all good. Uh, and then, and then. Uh, um, I'm getting the most flexible that I've ever been this year, you know, and, and that's not to say that I'm not strength training. I'm still strength training a lot, but uh, it's, it's just good to be ticking boxes still, you know, and I think that this is, I think that this is the evolution of exercise. I think that people are starting to wake up to, you know, it's not just about what you can do now. It's about how long you can sustain that for, yeah. you know, and, uh, and I really think that's an
1: important message. Yeah, that, and I love that idea of kind of hitting PBs like each, like as you go, your best PBs come as you continue to age. Like, that's an amazing sort of thing to think about because the kind of old model of, like, you kind of burn really bright in your 20s and then it's all just downhill from there, I think is... Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And and, and
0: you still talk to it. We still get people in the gym that come in and they say, oh, yeah, you know, but I'm I'm, I'm this old now. And I'm like, no, you know? And if you look at Vasco as a shining beacon, 67 years old or something, 66 maybe, and he's doing things that he never thought possible, you know? He's one of our older members at the gym. Uh, I think it's a really important thing that people understand that you can do that. You can choose to do that. Mm. But it's it's really about layering your training on nice and we talk about progressive overload and load mm. management and all those things. Um, but I believe that that is a great evolution in exercise that I'm seeing uh,
1: at least. Yeah, and that's that idea of like the consistency of getting that strength, flexibility and fitness Altogether, and you, you know, you might find that for certain periods you'll go through seasons where you enjoy, you know, the strength more, and you'll have seasons where you enjoy the, um, you know, flexibility or, or fitness more. But you've still got that consistency, so one doesn't just drop off a, a cliff. And and when you do stop, like especially as you age, um, things do drop off quick cliffs yep. <laughs> faster than um, than before. And it's so important; like it's so much easier to maintain than to um, try and build something up from from scratch again. So. Yeah, that's right. That having that combination of, of all of them, and then speci- like adding specificity within that larger context is just yeah the key. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And we, you know, of course, as a Unity Gym uh, Sound and Movement podcast, we're going to bang the balance, you know, unified flexibility, strength, and fitness drum because we love to. And I think that it's, you know, I really like the discussion. I really like the 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 philosophy of drawing a line between training and competition but you know and so focus on training when you're training and and then have a way have a means to express your capability whether that's a sport that you love to play whether that's a multi like multiple things you know it might be that you want to compete in something might be that you want to do a half marathon
1: or uh, a powerlifting competition or competing crossfit because just like that food discussion like the big thing is the mental approach of like what is satisfying? What is mentally satisfying? And, and having those expressions of, of movement or strength or uh, fitness or flexibility, like they're the things that keep you going and keep you coming back for more.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And, and uh, you and know, give we, it fresh. If our guys don't have uh, a sport that they're training for, then we try and encourage them to do uh, calisthenics. You know. And, and use that as a, as a way to bring it all together and then sort of show off, you know, show people what cool stuff yeah. you're learning at the gym or, uh, you know, like it's, we don't, and this is something I've, I've, I've written blogs about, you don't, we don't come to the gym, at least I don't, if I was a professional powerlifter like Bass or someone, I might, but I don't come to the gym and bench press to be better at bench press. I bench press, I lift heavy loads, I put my body under all this stress so that I'm more resilient to that stress in the real world when the time comes, you know? Uh, and it, it, like you could, you, you might argue what, like I had someone comment, the, um, you know, on a, on a post, why would you put yourself under so much stress when I posted a video of me squatting 180 kilos? And of course it looks hard. It's, it's meant to be hard. It's it's very stressful. You know, it's a lot of weight. Uh, and I, I posted a picture back of myself um, giving both my boys a piggyback because sometimes they just yeah. are a nightmare to get to uh, school and, and, and um, preschool. And I end up just going, I'll oh, stuff this and throw them both on my back and lug 40 kilos from home to work uh, plus all of our backpacks you know it's probably about 50 kilo additional weight uh maybe 45 kilos and and uh you know people will look at me and laugh and go wow that's um uh, humorous but that's literally why i like to be strong you know so i can do those things so i can run around and and uh and play with my kids and 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 you know all these fun things that that uh that you know you start to if you don't move around, if you don't exercise, like Phil's um, a horrific story about um, people in palliative care, you lose the ability to do all these cool yeah. things, you know.
1: And with aging, like the higher peaks you can get during the years where you can really cultivate strength and size and bone mineral density, like that kind of starts to like plateau and then um, gradually diminish. So if you can maintain, like if you can get to higher peaks, it's so much easier to maintain higher levels into your older age. So yeah. there's a really good argument for you know trying to make the trying to make hay while the sun shines.
0: Yeah, that's right. Look, I've, I've come across in my life a few people, most of them I disliked, had terrible relationships with, but still I was impressed by what they were able to do in their 70s and, and 80s, you know? And the key thing was, uh, one of them was a boss that I had uh, when I was doing a mechanics apprenticeship many, many years ago. Uh, and he was a farmer, you know, and they, t- they have this saying in, a, in, in, in the U.S., farmer strength, you know, because it's just like, you know, people that work farms, they're just yeah. constantly physically active. They're constantly doing things that, you know, um, callous the hands, callous the mind and callous the muscles, basically, <laughs> you know. And this dude in, in, in his uh, 70s, uh, mid-70s, was incredibly Physically capable, you know. I remember one time he challenged me to a running race, and I was so shocked. I was a fast sprinter, and this dude kept up with me, you know. And then the our relationship ended with us actually having a physical fight because he was just a psycho. and And I was uh, I was um, boxing at a very high level at the time, and I remember going, "Wow, this old guy is crazy. I don't. I really don't don't want to duke it out with him," you know. Um, and, uh, and 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 but the thing was, he had stayed physically active all his life all his life there was never a drop-off because he was a farmer he, he just constantly was doing stuff physically active physically active and so i really believe that if you do it and you do it right and you don't overdo it like our um uh uh did i did i talk about i, I talked about um the study that of the new york emergency workers did i
1: cover that no, at that all? was our pre that, pre-podcast discussion that was
0: our pre-podcast discussion okay Um, one of, one of the, um, interesting, and I can't remember if I read it in one of Stuart McGill's books, Stuart McGill is a spine sort of guru specialist, um, uh, Dr. Stuart McGill or, and we always slag his work because we don't slag it, but we, 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 we argue some of the points, but, um, I remember him quoting it and i don't know whether i went and looked at it uh, or read it in his book but it was a study on uh, um, uh, u.s emergency workers in new york they used fire police and i'm pretty sure rescue and they looked at uh, a bunch of um, guys over about a four-year period who that were encouraged to exercise and do strength training And they wanted to see long term how it affected their ability to work, you know, because they're all in quite physically active jobs. And they wanted to see if it improved their lifestyle, improved their performance at work or um, affected it. And it was specifically related to how they dealt with like a lot of them were dealing with back pain and uh, associated injuries from their work. And what they found was that um, the categories of people that trained to maximum um, capacity, so training to failure when they went to the gyms, uh, in comparison to the people that trained at a moderate intensity, were f- far worse off. They had more days sick days. They had more days off work because of acute pain and, and injury and things like that. And you know, when you talk about it, it seems quite obvious: train to a moderate intensity consistently, uh, and you'll have less, you know, injuries. Uh, but I think it, people really need to t- like take something from that, you know. Like training to a really high intensity may yield a better short-term result if you're trying to d- be a bodybuilder or an elite-level athlete. But long-term, when the years start to stack up, it puts more wear and tear. It ov- like obviously puts more wear and tear on your body, or has the potential to do so. And uh, and I think it's a very interesting thing to s- sort of um, consider. Yeah, it when makes
1: the recovery so challenging, and and the key thing to Like, if you're working to those levels, then the recovery has to be, like, to those levels as well where you basically can then take the rest of the day off, sleep 12 hours, (laughs) eat really well eat consistently and and not have a whole lot of stress like if you want to work to absolute um, value which you know maybe some professional athletes do and top level um, lifters and and whatever like they can do that if they can then recover appropriately and you can see them get incredible results but for someone who's then got a physical job uh, for someone who's you know waking up at night to deal with kids and you know maybe doesn't get on top of their, their food. Like, if you can't match your intensity with recovery, then you're going to lead to breakdown. And it's just not practical.
0: The, the other thing that I think it needs to be said is that most professional athletes that I've met and most bodybuilders that I've met are quite happy, like, quite happily, knowingly sacrifice health for the pursuit of performance in their sport, in their bodybuilding, um, if um, yeah, which, you know, is a sport. Uh, and so... I think that, that, you know, that needs to be taken into consideration too. What, what you emulate, what you see on stage and what you see on uh, an athletic um, field or a football field or whatever, you, whatever sport it is that you watch doesn't necessarily mean that that person is healthy, you know, and doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they're, what they're doing is healthy. Remember, health is the, um, living in, um, uh, in the absence of disease and or injury. And I've never met a professional athlete that doesn't live with an injury, you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, maybe a bodybuilder too. I don't know. But anyway, um, let's move on. Let's uh, let's bring this in for a landing. We want to talk now about innovation in rehab uh, and/or injury management because this is something that I think is has really impressed me working alongside yourself and Nalesh and uh, and. It's even uh, heavily affected our program, the concept of technique optimization prior to our testing. You know, we now really focus on bringing people in, optimizing technique first, then starting to assess and build um, customized programs. And we've found a need for technique optimization in the fundamental movement patterns prior to testing because... When you test before the technique is optimized, you get just too much data and, and and you don't really know what to work on, you know, and that essentially came from watching how you uh, work with your clients. And, and uh, yeah, so let's talk about that.
1: Yes, yeah, so I guess sort of bigger picture, like when I was a, you know, younger athlete playing ultimate frisbee for um, like an international level for 11 years and I was kind of known as like the injured guy which is really frustrating and I got really annoyed when people would be like well looks like you've injured yourself again like it just <laughs> would do my head in um, because it was so frustrating it was just like this sort of constant cycle of like I'd um, train really hard I'd get to the point where I was like feeling quite good about things injure myself go absolutely backwards start from the beginning and and I'd, in that time I worked with a lot of different Um, physios I used to go get see an osteopath for back pain and I used to get massages and I used to really engage with like the healthcare space and and through that time that just my impression of what would fix me was that there was going to be like you know I'd go to a a health practitioner and they'd do some specific movement uh, you know uh, release or a um, some kind of unlocking thing that would then I don't know, align stuff in the right way and um, would work the tissues in a way that things would, I don't know, be fixed. And it was quite this, like, just seemed, like, quite mystical and amazing. Like, I was just like, oh, gosh. Like, imagine being able to, you know, know this, like, Rubik's Cube of <laughs> movements that you could do that would, like, lead to someone suddenly feeling like they're in, they're, like, router of pain and they could do the thing that they wanted to do. Um, but it kind of, as my... Journey into then studying massage, working as a massage therapist for eight years while I did my exercise sports science degree and doctor physio degree. I started my change, like my understanding really changed um, around that, and started to realise that sure you can modulate pain with sort of some hands-on um, techniques, and you can basically you know make someone feel better from these. It's like sometimes with specific treatment effects, but often with non-specific treatment effects. And as we've understood more about how the brain works, those non-specific treatment effects kind of come down to placebo as the one that. Um, people are most common with. There are things like the Hawthorne effect where you basically feel guilty about not feeling better so you actually in the end feel better. It's <laughs> quite yep. an amazing um, thing where you want to almost impress your practitioner about like how good a job they're doing, it's, which I think is a wonderful part of human nature that that's even a thing. Yep. Um, but there's, you know, there's all these kind of factors that influence basically how you feel when you're in the actual treatment. But then what's often was so neglected from Um, all those physio treatments was that it was always so focused on doing one specific little um, silver bullet um, either release or then an exercise that was in no way kind of relevant to the training that I was doing and um, you know but it would sort of be like okay you gotta stop training for x amount of weeks do this one thing and then you can get back to doing your training and the the profession has changed so much through there and and I was so stoked to have done my the degree that I did where they were really working hard and being as up to date with um, sort of research as possible and, and as physio has changed over the years. I've really seen that, like, the thing that has the, um, not necessarily the biggest effect, like, there's, um, one of the, the main things that has a huge effect is time for most injuries, is basically if it, if natural healing takes place, then things will get better. But the treatment that has the best side effects and the best kind of value proposition is exercise, because you're going to get all these really beneficial um, side effects of exercise where you get, you know, fitter, stronger. Um, and the, it really trumps the value of um, what you can do as a physio because if you get someone who's coming in and wanting to feel better so you, you they, and they only feel better if you do something to them, then, you know, they're gonna have to have a constant course of treatment until that injury is better in, you know, three, six, um, twelve months. And that's very expensive for a practitioner and, and as COVID's shown, sorry, for a patient and as COVID's shown, like if you can't access uh, someone who can do those things, then Um, you know, you're kind of stuffed. And so where that's really led to um, the change in how I want to treat came from when I started training here as a, um, when I was what, 23 or so um, back in, yeah, 23, 24 and I actually started doing a program that was consistent and I got stronger and fitter and then I was playing sport and I was like, hey, wow, suddenly I haven't got these injuries because I've just built this kind of resilience and movement variability and and strength that just I hadn't had before because ultimate frisbee strength and conditioning used to be run five k's as fast as you can three times a week and turn up and play as many games as you can and we sort of realized like hey that doesn't really prepare your structures for (laughs) sounds like boxing yeah exactly (laughs) and that's really changed over the years and it's much better off than it used to be but it really demonstrated that it was like i've i've kind of fallen down that rabbit hole of trying to seek some silver bullet specific exercise or specific like release or whatever that will suddenly fix all my problems when really it's like hey what's the activity you want to do now how do you condition your body to be able to handle those stresses and by building up a combination of strength flexibility and fitness like that's how you get an injury resistant body it's not that silver bullet and as a practitioner now I get so many people coming in being like you know what's like they want that Kind of quick thing, or just to change something that they've been doing that will suddenly unlock everything. But it's like, no, you need to work on things more generally and um, get to a point where your body can handle that specific um, activity that you want to be successful in.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And and so the the I think from a from a really practical standpoint for people for, for the listeners to understand. What this means is, and how I've uh, how I've portrayed it, how what I've observed watching these guys work with um, clients and patients in the gym is that, you know, um, it, rather than diagnosis, um, uh, prognosis, removal um, of the thing that is going to give the yield the best result, which is exercise, these guys sort of diagnose and then they optimize technique to manage load and by manage load we split load into the macro and micro loading so you know they'll talk about they'll identify things that the person might be doing in their everyday life that is uh potentially going to add load to this issue or body or, or, or uh, add stress to this issue or body. And then they'll cu- help strategize ways to mitigate or minimize that load. So that might be how you are sitting, that might be the work that you do during the day, that might be how much your, doing a certain thing during the day outside of the gym that's going to impact when you try to work out. And then they they um, optimize or um, or minimize micro-load, which is done through technique optimization. Yeah, it's, it's not always
1: minimizing necessarily, but like thinking about how, like having that understanding of the way that you do things will impact the structures that are involved. And so the kind of classic one i talk about is how, you know, just changing your grip slightly on your pull-up is going to massively impact um, which muscles you use. Same with a squat, not all squats are equal. Depending on how you do it will massively impact how your um, body is loaded. And again, load is a really positive thing. That's the thing that stimulates a response and it gives you that adaptation. So it's kind of having that level of detail where you can look at the big picture of like, okay, um, what's your larger programming looking like? And and is it at a stage where you're kind of exceeding the threshold of that the capacity of that structure if it is how do we work with the rest of your life and with your training to bring that back so it's not no longer above that threshold and so it can be an optimal healing environment where it is loaded but it's not exceeding the threshold where you'll um you know slow things down or cause pain um and then looking at the technique about how you do things because so often people like oh you know i can't deadlift anymore like i tap my back too many times now i just can't deadlift well like not not all deadlifts are equal like if you're doing it (laughs) um in a way that is um, not ideal then you know for some people they might be get away get away with it but if you've got a structure that you're then exceeding the capacity just because you're the leverage is all wrong and you're not keeping the body on your bar and you're not using your um, the muscles in the ideal sort of position then of course you're not gonna be able to do the deadlift because it's really exceeding your capacity but if we can work on technique then that's a movement that is one of the best things you can do for lower back pain if we get that macro loading so work and life and programming um and micro loading so how you're actually doing it and so this really fits into i've been like something that i've been thinking about a lot obviously over the years of doing these these podcasts now and um and nilish and i kind of worked together to put together like a treatment hierarchy of of needs basically after what like seeing you guys talk about you know your training hierarchy and, and i thought i think that's what physio needs is like a really clear value proposition to patients that come in so that you don't just fall into that trap of coming in and then suddenly you've signed up for six weeks of um you know getting a certain release or whatever like that there's a really clear plan when you come in that like okay here are the things that are most valuable and that we have like if you get this right you'll get you know 80 percent of the way there and here are the things that are the, if you want that 20 percent bonus on top and those little diminishing returns that sort are of things like so patients can make a really informed choice about Like where their money is best spent, basically, because so often um, I think practitioners fall into the trap of wanting to make people feel better short term, and patients want that sort of magical silver bullet to feel better instantly. But then they miss that's the opportunity cost of that is that you're not getting those big picture, um, you know, programming technique uh, education about your. about what's actually going on and what to expect um, and people can't make an informed choice about like, oh, okay, if this is not going to cause me like long-term issues and all I need is to kind of get, you know, back into a generalized program, then if if, pe- if that's all people want, then, you know, pe- like people should be able to make an informed choice if that's what they're signing up for and not fall into that trap of, I know that certain patients come in and be like, oh, I know I should have done something about this, but I just couldn't afford to go and see a physio eight times. It's like, you don't need to see them eight times. You can come in once and then choose how much you want. And if there is someone who wants to come in eight times because they really want those one percenters, they want the kitchen sink thrown at them, then that's totally appropriate. But as long as it's an informed choice. And so that's where I'm really trying to get this kind of message and education straight is like giving patients the the power to have an informed choice about how much care they receive. And um, yeah, that's... I don't know, something I'm yeah as having been a patient for so long and been a patient on a uni budget who just like <laughs> yeah, yeah. couldn't afford yeah. going and see people like it's yeah,
0: but it's also just it's it's it, i I think it also what what I mean the this is what I see the is the evolution of rehab and the evolution of physio or physical therapies, dare I say it. Uh, and it gives a better result. It yields a better outcome. You know, uh, we see it time and time again on the gym floor here, you know, we have people who are coming and they just need a little bit of a tweak to help certain things, uh, double down on, uh, technique and certain movements. Time after time, I see people, um, uh, failing to understand that range of movement is a load variable in exercise and they exceed their capacity in their ability to um, hit really deep ranges in certain movements. Squats is a great example. And all they need is to build load capacity in a range that their bodies are really stable in. And then you know at the same time develop their range of movement develop their flexibility in a controlled manner not in a manner where they got 140 kilos 130 kilos on their back and they're getting pushed into that range uh, in, in a you in know a, in a uh an environment that they've got complete control yeah. over and so that's
1: yeah and that's where the, the like i, I think a, a well-trained physio is really valuable you can identify what are the variables that are uh, most aggravating and what are the variables that won't be aggravating and that you can actually then focus on like con- like continuing a training that is relevant and exciting and mentally satisfying that you want to keep turning up to because that's the big thing that I think physio has failed before where people chronically underload because they're like, oh, not sure about like on- to be on the safe side of things. We're just going to withdraw all kind of gym training and put you onto this like theraband exercise activation core, blah, blah. But what I think where physio needs to get to is the ability to be like, okay, like we can... You should be trying to do as much of what you want to do, or used to do, as possible. And how can we just tweak things slightly to um, facilitate that? And you know, sometimes there it is the case that you do really need to, um, you know, take a a significant step back from doing what you want to do. But then, how can we work with you to still keep you engaged in a training that's meaningful? And so, if you've done an ankle injury, how can we, you know, can we work together to give you a um, you know, a pull-up program that gets you to a muscle-up that you haven't done, you haven't done before. Something like that because that mental side of training is just so key and I think well, physios are guilty of...
0: There's also a huge downside which we didn't really talk about and we could talk about this topic all day and we do yeah. have to bring this in the <laughs> landing to get... O- I, I got to get over to the online coaching um, uh, group coaching, weekly group coaching call. But one of the things that we didn't really drive home is that there is a downside. There is a very, very tangible downside to removing someone from their regular ex- uh, exercise program which is that they lose strength at an alarming rate. When you stop training and you're used to training and 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 um, exposing your body to those um, those loads, and
1: it's not only strengthers like in, like peak strength. It's even um, yeah. you know. Ability to deal with impact. Yeah, so getting capacity. to running, it's ability to like um, fitness. It's it's all these things that you decondition so quickly, and so, so we've got to keep you as close to.
0: So as a result, yeah. you come back to your training later on after you've uh, apparently rehabbed the injury with your theraband exercises, and you're more susceptible to injury now. You know. All right, that's it, guys. That's all we got time for. I know that Phil would like to continue yep. on this discussion, yep. and I would too. And we yep. might next Love week. <laughs> um,
1: and if you do want to hear more about. Uh, I guess my thoughts on physio and also discussions with Nilesh with an amazing sports physio background, then we are starting up the ADPT Physio podcast. So if you head across to our Instagram at ADPT Physio, then you can find out when we launch it, but we'll be definitely talking about a bit more on this podcast. Exciting times.
0: (laughs) All right, Tribe, that's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Smash up the like button, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and we will see you next week. Take care. Health is about performance, not just body image. You better be willing to accept what you're gonna have to do to get there. We'll start focusing on movement goals, strength goals, flexibility goals. When you nail that skill, it's there forever. The body image goal doesn't get you that far. It's the consistency and frequency that's gonna get you there, it's not the intensity.